speaking to us. The Lord has a prophetic word for you. In fact, if you were really wondering, like, what is God saying to me for my life? My goodness, He is speaking to us. He's speaking to this church, and uh, He's talking to us out of this. This is why, you know, I don't just do like three points and like move on to the next concept. No, we push on something until we get that breakthrough. Like Deb was talking about, we got to push that stinking thinking out. I like that. And establish the truth in our hearts. And so we've been in Mark, uh, or, or we've been talking about the farmer and the seed, Matthew 13, and we're going to jump over to Mark 4. And uh, let's get rolling on this as quick as we can here. So just to remind you where we've been at, Mark chapter 4, verse 13, he says, uh, Jesus is teaching us, it's the parable of the farmer and, the, and sowing the seeds, and he says, do you not understand this parable or story? How then will you understand all the parables? He's telling us that this is the key to understanding all his other stories about the kingdom. He's telling us how the kingdom works. He's telling us how we get God's will done on the earth or in our lives. And, he, and, 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 and as you're going to read, and as you guys remember, most of you remember, that the seed is the word, right? It's the word of the kingdom, and the fruit is the fruit from the kingdom. And the way that God gets his will done on earth in our lives, producing fruitful people, is by putting his word into us, and then that word, his powerful, sure, unchanging word, is what produces that fruit in our life. And so he goes on, he says, verse 14, the sower sows the word. Right? This is Jesus trying to get his will done in people's lives. He's the one who came to seek and to save that which is lost. This is Jesus who came to give life and life to the fullest, and he's explaining how it can happen in our lives. And he says, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. That's the hard soil. And he says that they're the people, they heard it, but they didn't get it. And Satan just stole it away. Either because of hardness in their own hearts, because of pride or selfishness, self-deception, or because that, uh, uh, they just you know, forgot it. They didn't, they didn't do the work to really press into it. Uh, likewise, verse 16, are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they, they hear the word, immediately receive it with jo- uh, joy or gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble or they get offended. This is the rocky soul. People who hear the word, they get excited about it. Yay, Jesus loves me. But then when hard times come, they get mad at God. They get offended. The trials, tribulations, things that people say, accusations from the enemy, whatever, steal that seed, that word, that truth from their heart, and they don't produce any fruit. Uh, look at that. I move and I lose my place. Okay, I have to work on that. Okay, here we go. The next soil, the thorny soil, he says, verse 18, Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of the other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And these are the people that they hear the word and they keep going to church and doing whatever, but because they are distracted with their own busyness, they think money's going to solve their problems, they, 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 uh, they have desire for other things, pleasures, they want comfort, they want those things more than the things of the kingdom. They don't seek first the kingdom because of that, the, the thorns of this like choke them out and then become unfruitful. And the reality is that Jesus is trying to convince people that he wants to do these things in their life. He wants to get his kingdom done on earth. He wants to see his blessings and his promises done on earth. But just because the promise is in the word, just because God has made a promise to you, just because God has spoken to you prophetically, doesn't mean it's going to happen in your life. Jesus is telling us that there's a reason why people don't receive. 
There's a reason why people don't get answers to their prayers. And it's not because it's not the will of God. No, it's His will to sow His seed into our hearts and get His fruit done on earth. And there's a lot of people, of course, because of their lack of experience or hard times, they say, well, I prayed and it didn't happen. I believed and it didn't happen, right? Human traditions, that are, that, that they create a theology based in their lack of experience. And they say, oh, but it didn't happen, so it must not have been God's will. No, Jesus told us right here it was His will, but there's rocks and there's thorns in us, right? The Word is the constant. It's the, it's the seed, it's the Word of God, the promise of God that does not change and has all the power that we need to see God change our life. His Word has the power to change us. But what's the variable in the story? Our hearts, our choice, our faith. And there's a lot of believers out there that don't get... Well, I, I know I'm called to something. Are you fulfilling it? Are you moving forward? Well, I really want to be whole. Uh, wanting's not enough. Right? There's a lot of people who want the breakthrough or want the freedom or want this or want that, but they're not going to see it happen unless they deal with the rocks and thorns in life. There's a lot of people in the church. They've been to church a lot. But as Debbie, said, or as Debbie alluded to, but they haven't been discipled. They haven't allowed the Word of God, they haven't submitted their lives to the Word of God and allowed the Word to push out the rocks and the thorns. What is the Lord saying to us? I just want to remind you that what God is saying to us in this season as a church is He told me, teach them, and I would be in that them, I'm in the journey with you, teach the church how to stand on my Word. And the Lord has been saying to us, if you will receive my Word and hold on to my Word, my Word has the power to change you. I will produce my fruit in you if you'll hold on to my word. What did Jesus say? If my words abide in you, if you keep them in there, you will be my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's the power of God in his word that does the freedom and the healing and the blessing if we'll hold on to the word of God. And so what we've been learning is how to walk with patient faith. Now sometimes, sometimes uh, that fruit or that harvest of faith that happens in the good soil right in verse 20 but those who uh, but these are the ones sown on good ground those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit some 30 some 60 some 100 fold sometimes that's instantaneous sometimes a person hears the word and bam that happens a lot right maybe someone comes to church they hear the word Jesus is the savior believe and your sins are forgiven Man, they put their faith in Him, bam, they're saved. Sure doesn't mean that they don't need sanctification though, right? And, and transformation in their life. But born again, the greatest miracle ever, that in their spirit, when a person would believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus, what happened? Born again, amen? A resurrection takes place on the inside that where my spirit was dead, now my spirit is alive. That is the greatest miracle and the first miracle of all the benefits of salvation. And that can happen, bam, instantaneously. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so as the Word is preached or somebody hears that gospel, whew, they can get saved. Same thing with healing. I love one of my favorite stories in Acts 14 is where um, there is this, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul is preaching the gospel, the Word of grace, okay? And there's a man in the crowd. He's preaching to Gentiles, pagans, Worshippers of idols, right? They're worshiping Zeus. It was actually the, I think it was Lystra where, where they actually had a temple to Zeus. And so in the crowd was this cripple who had never walked, right? Shriveled legs, no muscles, no ability to walk. Impossible. No ability. There's no doctors out there to help him. 
And as this man is hearing the word of God, what happens? Faith is created on the inside of him. Where there was no faith, faith is awakened inside of him. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. It was literally awakened in his heart, created in his heart, so that where he had no expectation for God to do anything in his life, I'm a cripple, I'm always going to be a cripple, all of a sudden, bam, his whole perspective changes, and God can heal me. Jesus is the healer, and an expectation arises in the heart that I can be healed. I can be healed. God can heal me, and, and, and it's His will. Now, makes you wonder, what kind of gospel was Paul preaching? Not the gospel most churches preach. Not the gospel most pre- churches preach, that this cripple, while hearing the gospel that Jesus saves, died, rose again, same gospel we preach, but somehow this man got it. I can be physically healed. Yeah, that's because it's all part of the same atonement that Jesus paid for at the cross. This man says, I can be healed. Paul sees his faith. Saw that he had faith to be healed. Saw that and said, stand up. And he was healed instantaneously. See, this can happen right away. This can happen instantaneously. That faith is awakening someone's heart and they can have the fruit of faith right there. Now, ultimately, this is talking about reproducing disciples transformation and character in our life. I mean, that takes time, right? Seeing a whole city come to Jesus. Well, I guess it, it doesn't have to take time. Whole cities did come to Jesus in his day. Never mind. It has nothing to do with time. I said that last week. I repent, Lord. It has nothing to do with time. It has everything to do with faith. But there is sometimes timing dynamics. That's what we want to talk about today. That, um, let me do it this way. <clears throat> When you hear the Word of God, we'll do it this way, we'll do it up and down. Hear the Word of God. This is that, that, that promise, that Word. And what this does is the Word of God begins to show you what is reality. You, you begin to see the heart of God and His Word paints a picture in your heart, giving you hope for the future. Hope that things could be different. A vision, God's vision, how God sees things and what happens is, as the Word of God is preached and faith is awakened in your heart, you begin to see it like He sees it. And this creates a vision for the future, right? This begins to create hope in us. But what happens is, or the reality is, is that you're here, right? Now, I'm not talking about the fact that, I mean, the reality is, those of us who are in Christ, we already are who we're becoming, okay? You're already seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, you're already righteous. But there is a, there's a dynamic that on this earth... Right? In my mind, will, and emotions, and in this society, that we do not see all the time and in every way the fullness of His promise, right? right? But the nations are not all His inheritance yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, I still mess up. You know, okay, so there, what this creates then is what we would call a dissonance. Right? A dissonance. That, 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 that here is this promise and this hope that I hear from the Lord. But here I am in this place. Think about it, okay? The, 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 the message is going forth from Jesus, okay? He's preaching the Word and its seed, and where is that seed landing? On soil where there's no harvest yet. See, what God sees for your life is a field full of trees producing fruit. In fact, I would say no, more than that. Fields! This is not about your life alone. This is about reproducing our lives in the lives of others, Amen? And so what God sees and what God is speaking to you about is a harvest of faith. A harvest where He... And in that, it's that seed right there. So here's this seed. Here's this word from God. 
And in that seed is the potential, is the possibility for this harvest of faith. Okay, people coming to Jesus or His character being produced in you, you're getting, getting a job, healing, you know, His, whatever, right? I mean, anything that is of the kingdom producing in your life. But where's that seed landing? On a field where there is no trees yet. Where there is no fruit yet. Does that make sense? And so there is a dissonance between where I'm at and where God is taking me. And that's what we've been talking about because oftentimes, oftentimes, most of the time, the way that the kingdom comes into our life is there is a process. There is a, there is a, where I'm at now and where He wants to take me. And in between that is this process. And last week we basically talked about uh, the fact that we, that fa- we defined faith as being fully convinced. Fully convinced that God is able and faithful. Nothing less than that is faith, according to the Scriptures. And praise God, even when we're not there yet, He strengthens our faith. But when we talked about the Lord being the author and finisher of our faith, bringing us to that place. And then we talked about patient faith, that unless we hold up our faith, confident from the beginning to the end, like a tightrope, and you can't walk across the tightrope, right? It's like a football player running around on the field saying, pass it to me, pass it to me. Oh, he's never going to pass it to me, right as the ball flies over his head. The moment we drop our confidence and drop our hands and drop our head with lack of expectation, it's no longer patient faith. And there's a lot of people who say, I, I have patience, I have patient faith, I'm believing God. But really, they're in the game like that. I'm still in the game. But they walk around with their head down. That's not patient faith. Now, praise God, you're still in the game and Jesus is your coach and He's working with you. So don't, not condemnation. But the reason why the Lord is exposing these things in our heart, He's showing us what the rocks are. He's showing us what the thorns are. He's showing us what hard soil looks like. He's showing us what biblical faith looks like. What, what kind of faith is in the good soil that actually produces fruit? Why? So that we're not deceived. What does Galatians 6 say? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. Jesus wants us to know exactly why things happen and why things don't. So that, what? We can align our hearts with Him. Amen? Simply so we can say, oh... Oh, that's what it looks like. Lord, I repent. I humble myself. I receive correction and I align my heart. No condemnation at all. But these last few weeks have been the Lord cultivating some of that in our hearts. Now, in Mark chapter 4, just jump over the same chapter, a few verses, to verse 35. Verse 35, where it says this, On the same day when evening had come, he, or Jesus, said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Interesting, on the same day, every teacher loves teachable moments, right? Those of your teachers, parents, you love teachable moments, don't you? And here is what we would call a teachable moment. He has just taught the Word of God. He has just showed them how to produce a harvest of faith and see God do great things through them. And then on the same day, they get in a boat and he says, let's go over to the other side. You know, they're on a ministry assignment here. They're going to go over to the other side. There's a harvest of people that are going to come to Jesus on the other side and be healed and delivered. Okay. So he says, let's go on to the other side. And what happens? Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose. The waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? 
And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now once they get to the other side, Jesus casts out a legion of demons out of a man. And later there was a revival in that region. I want you to understand something. Some of the, I think we know this, but we need to hear this. That between where I'm at and the fulfillment of God's call on my life, where I'm at and His promises producing fruit in my life, between that is a storm. Always. That's funny that you uh, were asking that question, Deb. Because what did you say? Everything must be seasoned by fire? Must have been a word of the Lord, right? Between where you're at and the fulfillment of God's promise for your life, for your calling, in general or in a very specific area of your life that you are believing God for, that you have a word from the Lord for, guess what is in between that? The storm. And what Jesus did was He taught them before the storm and then He took them through that storm. And what, and what happened in that storm? Their heart was exposed. So, so what is that storm? That storm is the fire of trials. Jesus said it, right, in, in Mark chapter 4. Trials, tribulations, persecutions will come. And why does it come? It says it comes for the Word's sake. Did you notice that? Look, I mean, first of all, there's just trials in this world because we live in a broken, fallen world with demons. Okay? There's just trials in this world because sometimes there's just growth pains. You know, my son's growing. Ow, it hurts. You know, physically, the legs or something like that. I mean, some of it just is what it is. But the reality is, oh, and then there's, uh, let me mention, there's also trials because we're just dumb sometimes. In fact, that's most of it right there. If we're really honest, why did God let this happen in my life? Uh, he actually wrote a whole book how not to do those things. But, but there is a specific kind of storm that is designed to destroy you. Not by God, but by the enemy. There is a storm that is coming after the word you just heard. And you have to understand that. We're not talking about just life is tough or you have foolishness and you're reaping the consequences. I'm talking about people of faith. Godly men and women who love Jesus who come to church and hear the word and say, Amen! Woohoo! And guess what is between you hearing the word and believing it, by the way, if you don't believe it, I mean, there is a storm after the word. Tri tribulations and persecution come for the word's sake. There is a storm, there is a trial, there are temptations aimed at getting you, distracting you from God's purpose for your life. Distracting you, getting your eyes off Jesus. Wearing you down to the point of, I'm just going to give up, I'm going to lose heart, I'm going to lose hope, I'm not, I can't do it anymore. It is meant to bombard you, wave after wave, wind after wind, thing after thing, to try to get you to let up and let go of the Word and not hold on to that seed and not stand on the Word with patient faith. That is what it is designed to do. You understand what I'm saying, right? So the enemy, it's called in Ephesians 6, schemes. He's a jerk. Right? And he is plotting and scheming 
how to get that word out of your heart. That's why he'll just take the seed right away if he can. If you're not listening, coming to church with expectation and hunger and humility, and you're like, oh, I just want to go to get a burger or something like that, just steal the seed right out of your heart. But if you're a person, which I know that we are as a church, we're growing, praise the Lord, God's doing great things, and the seeds are coming into your heart and you're receiving it, let me tell you, there's a storm that is designed to take that seed out of your heart. It's, it's as simple as this. It could be, the storm could be delay. Just delay. Just, uh, this is taking a lot longer than I thought it would. Just straight up delay. Just designed to wear you down. Temptation. Designed to come right at you in that very area where your armor has a kink in it or chink or whatever. I can't even, I don't know the word. Never mind. There's a hole in your armor designed to just bam, hit you hard and attack you in the area of your faith. It could be um, mostly people. Relationships. Oh that's, oh, that's the big one. I'm telling you. Things people say to us, things that happen in relationships, interactions, relationships. Oh, I, honestly, I really believe that. I really believe most fiery things in our life that refine us are mostly relational. Mostly. Like 90%. I mean, you have to understand something. Go, go to First Peter here. Go to First Peter. Somebody say, bring it, Dave. That's good, because I need to bring it. Bring it quick. All right. Okay, he's talking about the hope that we have. Yeah, 1 Peter. He talks in verse 3 about this hope that we have, right? This is what we're talking about. We have this hope. We have these promises from God. It's a living hope, by the way. Okay, we have this hope. But then in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice. Right? We're supposed to rejoice in the hope. Meaning we don't see it yet. If you see it, it's not hope. You're already there. Okay? That's what Romans 8 says. So we're supposed to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, like Romans 5 says. And then even rejoice in the midst of trials as we looked at last week. It says, in this you greatly rejoice. Listen, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. All kinds of trials. Just whatever it is. I mean, it's just like the, that was like the trial. That's just one of those verses like, you know, here's a bucket and we'll just throw everything that's tough in that bucket. Okay? And listen to what Peter says the purpose of those trials are. He says here, that the genuineness of your faith, would you look at that? Huh. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand something, that God is not the one trying to get the seed out of your heart. God is not the one trying to send trials your way and hardships and temptations. God is not a tempter and He's not one to send trials. James chapter 1 says that. He's not the one trying to hurt you and harm you and get the seed out of your heart. That would be stupid, okay? The whole point of Mark chapter 4, Matthew 13 is that the sower is trying to get his seed into our hearts and he's trying to tell us how to get his fruit into our lives and into this world. He's not the one trying to get the seed out of your heart. It's the enemy. What, but what is God trying to do? Refine you. Refine you. Prune you. Why? Because we have rocks and we have thorns. We have lies that we believe about God. We have lies we believe about us, ourselves. We have deceptive stinking thinking. 
we've got attitude issues. We don't want to submit to God. We, we, are in, we, we, we have rebellion in us. We have jacked up emotions. We have offense towards God. We have these thorns in our life, these habits that keep us from a, a lifestyle of discipleship. We get all this junk. And what he's trying to do is purify and refine our motives. Understand this, that the trials come. And I'm not even saying that they're necessarily from God. But what does God use them for? To refine you and to test your heart motive. That fire comes and it comes upon your heart in which you do have faith. Because it says right there it's to test the genuineness of it. To refine it and to purify it of, of junk in there. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to get the stuff out of your heart that is actually your enemy. The enemy of your faith. And he's trying to get it to a, to a place where you're fully convinced with patient faith that he will do what he said he will do. He is on your side. He is for you and not against you. And he has a desire to bring you to his desired end. And he understands that suffering and trials are one of the number one ways, especially through people who bother you. Bother you. To cultivate His character in you and to purify your motives. Because what happens is, we might have a promise from God and a calling on our life, but mixed in there is me. Lots of me. My glory, my ambition, all about me. And did you know that not only is a man tested by suffering, a person is tested by suffering, but also by praise and blessing. All you have to do is either take away someone's money or give them a ton of it and you'll find out what their character is like. You'll find out what their motive is like. Man is tested by the praise he receives, says the Proverbs. In Deuteronomy 8, he said, I caused you to hunger that I might know what's in your heart. What's in your motives? Are you going to really listen to me and live your life by the voice of the Lord and obey me? Or are you going to live based on your circumstances and your own desires, selfish desires? Not to say we can't have desires, right? Then he says in Deuteronomy 8, I tested you so that I might do you good in the end. Why? So that when you're blessed, you won't think your power did it. Because what happens? When you're blessed and your motive, the motive of your heart is not faith or not whole surrender to Jesus. You don't really want Jesus. You just wanted the comfort. You just wanted the blessing. You didn't really want Jesus. You don't really want His kingdom. You're not really surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. When that blessing comes, you will boast in your own power and you will worship idols and it will cause you destruction in the end. So he is not a God that wants to bless you to destroy you. God sends the storm. God sends the fire. God sends the testing, the trials. Even allows those things. Not always sends them, to be honest with you. I, I think it's really demonic. He allows those things. Partly because we just live in this broken world. And partly because God sends them to test and refine your motives. And you never fail the test. It's just to show you what's going on inside of you. Just to see what's going on in there. But I want you to understand that every seed must be tested. Every word must be tested. Every promise must be tested. Why? Because only then can the genuineness of that seed come forth. And only then can God get the glory. Every... There's a storm between where you're at and where God wants to bring you. But the enemy, on the other hand, wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And a lot of times the trials are from the enemy or he's looking for an advantage. He knows our weaknesses and he is looking. It says in 1 Peter, at the end, chapter 5, in 1 Peter 5, 
It says here in verse 8, 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion. Listen, seeking whom he may devour. That's all the enemy wants to do is devour us. One, because he just hates God and he wants to destroy our lives. But more than that, he knows that if he can get the seed out of your heart, then he will keep us from impacting this world. And so he is, his number one desire is, his number one tactic is deception and lies to get the seed out of our heart. And it says he is seeking whom he may devour, not can necessarily, but may. He's looking for someone who would give him permission, who would let go of the seed, who would believe his lies, who would give access to the enemy by agreeing with his lies and his thoughts. When you're going through that storm and that trial and you're thinking, I don't know if this is, if God really going to do this or not, or why is this God, why is God doing this? Yet that's, that thought's coming from your flesh, yes, but the enemy sowed that into your heart because that is not what the Word says. <clears throat> so as there's this dissonance. What we have is an empty field and a promise of harvest and trials in between. What we have is the disciples are on one side of the boat, I'm sorry, one side of the lake, And Jesus said to them, get to the other side of the lake. Right? We live by what he says, not by what we see. We walk by faith in what he says, not by what we see. And Jesus says, let's go to the other side. We have an assignment. Lord has given you an assignment. Lord has commanded some things to you. He's saying, I want you to work on this area of your life. I want to give you breakthrough in this area. And his assignment is always his command and his promise. They go hand in hand. So Jesus says, why don't you go to the other side? Right? That other side of the lake. He's saying, this is what the Word says, right? The Word says, by your stripes, I am healed. The Word says, He will supply all your need according to His riches and glory. The Word says, you are dead to sin and alive to God. That there is freedom and victory and purity and wholeness in Jesus. Yes? The Word says you are the righteousness of God. The Word says you are healed. The Word says. Right? The Word says you have a calling from God from the beginning of time. The Word says you are loved. Does it not? That is God's reality. That is God's Word to you. That is His promise to you. And yet you are there on the other side of the lake. You've received instructions from the Lord for something you need to work on in your life or your marriage. You've received a calling from the Lord. You've received a prophetic word. All of that is a seed that He has planted in your heart that He wants to produce in your life. But you are on this side of the lake and the fulfillment is on the other side of the lake. And just like the disciples, they get in the boat and they get in the boat with Jesus and then there's a bunch of other boats with them because we're not just impacting ourselves but other people. And here we go, off into the boat and we have Jesus so everything's going to be okay and then the wind and the waves arise and they start knocking the boat and filling the boat and Jesus is asleep and what did this storm expose in their hearts according to Jesus fear which is the opposite of faith why did you guys fear now is Jesus saying that because he's condemning them no Is Jesus saying you don't have faith because just writing them off? No. He's doing the same thing that we're trying to do here. We're trying to say, see, look at your heart. Look at your heart. 
what's going on in your heart. And how did Jesus know that they were afraid? By their words, did he not? Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that we are what? Dying. You know what the language of fear sounds like? Offense towards God. You don't care. I thought you were good. I thought you loved me. I thought this. I thought that. Your trials are shaping your perception of God rather than what the Word says. And it also, the language of fear often has the language of death. Israelites did the same thing in the wilderness. Why did you bring us out here to kill us? And what did they get? They died. Because of their own rebellion. Their words, right, just like when you squeeze the toothpaste tube and the toothpaste comes out, the pressures squeezed what was in their heart and it came out, manifested in their words. It exposed where their heart was. Did Jesus say, I'm done with you. You're not my disciples anymore. I'm moving on to some other disciples. No. He's covenanted to us, like we've talked about, to cultivate faith in us as the author and the finisher. And so he's a great discipler and he knows how to expose and use the trials as a teaching moment to show you what's in your heart so he can deal with the fear, cultivate faith so he can actually see his will done in your life. And he will not give up on you. He will not. And he will finish what he started. In fact, some of us, you feel like you got nothing. Zero. You're going, I don't even have a field. <laughs> I got nothing. Some of you feel that you're at the bottom of the bottom. You're less than nothing. And you feel like you don't have... I, I don't even have faith, Dave. I don't even have faith. Some of you feel that there's no way you could obey God. You're saying, but Dave, I mean, you've got to do what He says. Amen? Obedience is always the bottom line. I don't even have that. I, I, I totally lack motivation. I don't even want God. Some of you struggling with that. And the Lord says, I will restore you. I am able to take you from a place of having nothing Tagging everything. That's the crazy thing about Jesus when he, you're following Him. Because the Word literally has the power to create in you what you have nothing of. Right? What does the Word say? I am the, he's, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's working in you to will and to do. Right? Follow me. I'll make you fisher of men. He literally knows exactly how to even put in you what you need so that He can get His will done. Realize that He can produce obedience in your heart. He's working in you to want to do. He, there are promise after promise after promise after promise. Hosea 14, I will heal your waywardness. God is able to take someone who is unfaithful and cause them to be faithful. Promise after promise in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, I will write my law upon your heart and, uh, and your mind. Literally, I will cause my law to be embedded on the inside of you so you actually want to do what I say and have the ability to actually perform it. God, if you will take Him at His word, can actually create in you the very thing that you think you have nothing of. Well, you probably don't have anything of. So I don't even have faith. That's okay. You just take the word... And if you cause the Word to abide in you, it, the Word will produce faith in you. And the Word will actually cause you to be obedient. 
that he, we, we serve a good God. You flowing with me? And some of you here, that's where you're at. You're like, but Dave, I don't even have anything. And that's exactly what he's going to start with. An empty field in which he will sow seed if you will let him. And then if you'll hold on to that seed, it will produce his fruit. Something the Lord showed me a long time ago for my life is uh, when we go through this storm or when we're faced with the storm, we have two different choices and it does expose our, the motives of our heart. This is something that the Lord showed me very much in the scriptures. He showed me that if, if my desire, and this is the way he was talking to me at the time, he said, if, if you just want heaven, you just, you just, I just want to go to heaven. We talk like that. Man, forget this. This is so hard. I just want to go to heaven. You talk like that? You're exposing the motives of your heart. Man, just go to heaven. He says, if that's what you want, Dave, you'll never go through the storm. You'll go around it. And he, and he was showing me, if, if, if you just want comfort, I just want the quick fix, man. I just want to feel better. I just want, just, just, I just want it to happen, okay? I just want it to happen. Then you will never even go through the trial. Because a lot of times, the trials in our life, we can't avoid, because they're like people problems and stuff like that. We can hide from the rocks and the thorns. Well, you never really can hide from them, can you? You will trip over those rocks sooner or later. Those thorns will choke you out sooner or later. But we can hide them from other people, and we can ignore them for a while. But all that does is expose that what you really want, you just want the blessing without God. And you want the comfort. You just want heaven. And you view heaven as kind of a, as the escape. You know, just the ticket out. But what he showed me was that unless you really want the fullness of the kingdom, you'll never go through the storm. This was in a season of my life when the Lord was exposing fears of rejection in my life, deep insecurities, pride and ambition in my life that got mixed in there. And he was exposing to me the motives of my heart. And he was showing me that only a person who wants Jesus, I want to know him, like we always say, I want to become just like him, and I want to partner with him. The heart of freely receiving what he has for us, which means a surrender to his lordship, his character changing our character, producing blessing in our life. Unless that's the real motive of our heart, we'll just avoid it and hide. And so, He sends us through the storms to refine us and test our motives. To ask this question, do you really want me? Am I enough? See, a person who goes through it, they say, I want you to be glorified no matter what. A person who goes through the trial, they talk like, like the Scriptures talk. It is better to be poor with God and with the fear of the Lord than to be rich and have turmoil. They don't want the quick fix, the easy out, the microwave Christianity. They don't want this, the prosperity gospel. They want Jesus. They want the fullness of what He has for their life and for other people's lives. And, and they, they want to be like Him. The craving, the deep longing of their heart is, 
I want to be like Jesus. I want His character to be formed in me. That I would reflect Him. That He would be glorified through my life. They don't want to just like do something nice for God so that people can look at them and say, look at that guy right there. Look at that girl. They're so amazing. Look at them. No. They want to see the calling on their life fulfilled so that Jesus will be glorified. And only people like that will say, refine me through the flame. Prune me. It tests your heart. It tests your heart. Because you can avoid a lot of things. That's what people do, right? And your marriage can say the same as it is. And you can say, oh, I have a calling. But you can hide your gifts and live in fear. You can say, oh, I know I have issues in my life. And never actually deal with them. And what are you showing? I don't really want Jesus. I don't really want to align myself with the Word. I don't really want the fullness of His kingdom. I just want comfort. And that's in all of us, isn't it? And that's the reason why we all need to go through the storm. And when you're in the storm, see today we're not even talking about how to make it through the storm, how to endure through the storm. We'll talk about that though. How do you endure through the storm? We're not even talking about that. But as you're going through the storm, your words are absolutely essential. And the Lord has been saying to me for this church, and we're going to actually go into this this whole probably next month, if you will change your words, it will change your life. Until you change your words, you don't get out of that storm. Often. We'll talk about that. That literally, as you go through that storm, it's absolutely essential to set your heart, what the Bible says, on a pilgrimage. And to say, I want Jesus. And if I never get anything else, I have Jesus. Now that is not like a poverty mentality. That's not a false humility that says, no, God, don't bless me. Right? No, no. Yeah, I want your promise done in my life. But understand, the storm is testing your heart and their motives. <clears throat> this, is, this, this is the story of my life. I, I want you to understand that I, I kind of wonder, I actually really wonder, according to Mark chapter 4, scripturally, if the way a person deals with trials really is what makes and breaks them. I mean, according to Mark chapter 4, it appears to me that the decision to hold on to the Word in the midst of a storm or a trial makes or breaks whether or not you're going to bear fruit. It appears to me, according to Mark chapter 4, that the decision of the lifestyle I choose to live, oh man, it's too tough, I'm just going to go and numb out with TV. Oh yeah, that discipleship stuff that Dave talks about, that's just, other churches don't do that. Yeah, well, get, get, get the fruit that they get, okay? <laughs> it, it, I think a lot of times, how you choose to spend your time, and whether or not you're going to press in or not, because we talk, said patient faith isn't just like, I'm still going to church. Patient faith is I'm still boasting in God and giving Him glory and staying steadfast on what, the word has, what God has said to me in His Word. I think it makes or breaks you. And I'll tell you, this, this, is, this is my life. Every time, I do believe this is a kingdom principle, every time that I've ever gotten a breakthrough in the Lord, a breakthrough, which means I've sowed the seed, probably been tested, and produced fruit in that area of my life. 
Every time I've gotten breakthrough, that was the beginning of the test. That was the beginning of the trial. Because the breakthrough, that was, just, that was just the beginning. I actually remember, I mean, I have so many examples of this. I mean, I have so many examples. I have like a, so many, you know, we'd be here forever, right? Because it's, this is the way it works. This is the way it works. I mean, I still remember 16 years old. I'm going to follow Jesus. You know, I'm starting to get pure. And I said, man, I'm not going to do that stupid dating thing the way I was doing it. And dumb, you know, looking for this, that, and the other thing. I'm going to wait on the Lord. Like the next day, I mean, come on, I'm 16, okay? Now I'm, now I'm not 16, so don't think like that. I've got an amazing, beautiful wife. So forget that. I'm not going to do that. The next day, after I made that decision, my, my sister comes over. Hey, there's this girl. Want me to hook you up with her? No. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, just, just talk to the Lord about that. What was he doing? I was just 16. Barely new believer. What was he doing? Testing my heart. I'm not saying dating is wrong. Don't get me wrong. He was just testing my heart. You made a resolve. Right? He's testing my heart. What's really going on inside of you? What do you really want? Right? Oh my goodness, how many times the trials have come. And I have failed. But it refined my motives. And he used it to bring glory to his name and change me. Why? Because I repented. How many times have I been through the trial and said, Ah, I remember being a new believer. I remember being a... Not a new believer. <laughs> and struggling with deep things on the inside. Fears of rejection that I thought God was mad at me and things like that. And I was raging against God and stupid things coming out of my mouth like those disciples in the boat. Why? And you know, I'm super honest with God. That's a very important quality. But when you're spouting off lies, you're not being so honest with Him. <laughs> you're being honest with your emotions. You're just not aligning with the truth. So I would just... Ah, I remember one time I had these deep fears of rejection and the Lord did this. I spent this whole week with the Lord and He did some major work in my heart to expose religious things in me, fears of rejection in me. Man, that next week I was like, Woo! I'm on top of the world! Breakthrough! I see it! I had a fear of rejection but now I know God loves me. And that wasn't like the first time I got it but I was like, yeah. Yeah. That was probably like at age 21... Oh, it was about hell for the next few years. As God, uh, not really God, as the enemy attacked me like I've never been attacked with feelings of insecurity, fear of rejection, thoughts of going to hell. As I struggled, struggled deeply. It wasn't God. I know what God was doing. Oh, God was so good. He was trying to show me I was believing those lies. He was trying to show me I had a selfish ambition in my heart and he was trying to get that stuff out of me. But the enemy was coming along with accusation and lies and he was scheming and he was poking me in places of, of temptation where, where, where I was weak, where I wasn't guarded, where I didn't have that self-control. Hardest time of my life. Fire. And where did it come from? I want you to understand, why did I go through that? Well, mostly because I had rocks and thorns in my life, but I want you to understand, why did I go through that? Because God gave me a word. He showed me His love. He revealed Himself to me. And He said to me, I will restore you completely. And the enemy said, game on. I'm going to get that thing out of that boy. And Jesus said, I want to see you try. Didn't that happen with Job? Right? 
James chapter 5 says that God had an end intended for Job, which we know was double the blessing he had at the beginning. God's intention was to bless Job. But he allowed a sifting to happen in the heart of Job. And God said, bring it on, Satan. Right? God challenged the enemy. Think about Peter's life. He had these rocks in his soil. He had more faith in himself and in his ambition than he had faith in Jesus. And Jesus said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. What did Jesus say, basically? Bring it on. Game on. So the enemy's going to sift you because I've got to get those rocks out of your soil where you're trusting in yourself. And can you imagine if Peter had not submitted to the process? Can you imagine if he didn't let Jesus restore him? Can you imagine if he would have hung himself like Judas? Do you realize that it's not just about Peter? It's not just the blessing that God brought to Peter's life where he felt free and loved and restored and accepted. It wasn't just about Peter, was it? Because if Peter wasn't restored, what would have happened? 3,000 people wouldn't have gotten saved on one single day. And that was just the beginning of the explosion, wasn't it? It wasn't just about Peter. See, the enemy wants to stop that seed from producing fruit in your life. And you're going to go through those storms. But the question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to hold on to the Word? And what are you going to say? Like I said, I didn't really talk today about how to go through it. But I want to end with this last thing that the Lord has for us. I'd say that this is... I mean, there's got to be like 10 strategies or something for how to endure through a storm. Powerful stuff we'll show you in the Word. But I'd say this is the core truth that I'm going to say right now. Do you notice that they forgot one thing when they were going through that storm? I mean, they forgot a bunch of things, you know. You don't care about us, we're dying. But they forgot one thing, the most important thing. They're in a boat, on a lake, in a storm. Were they alone? The most important thing they forgot was Jesus is in the boat. And that is the one thing that God has promised us, no matter what, His presence. And it is the most important thing for us to believe and to stand on, that no matter what I am going through, you're with me. Right? Matthew 28. He gave them the greatest assignment that you could ever imagine. Go disciple all nations. And then gave them the greatest promise. Even in the end of the age, when the trials get the worst and the persecution gets the worst, lo, I am with you. Right? What did he tell Joshua? Do not be dismayed. Do not be discouraged. For I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is his word to us. That when he gives us an assignment, he promises himself to us. All of his power, all of his resources, all of himself with us. When he covenanted with you to make promises to you and to call you to his character, call you to fulfill the calling of God on your life, he promised himself to you. And he says, I am with you in that boat, in that storm, in your life. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And no matter what I'm going through, no matter what any person says about me, Christ in me. Christ in me. You will never leave me nor forsake me. You are with me. Right? See, imagine a person goes through OSL level one, starts getting that truth. He loves me. I am righteous. What's going to happen? 
You're going to get tested. But what did he do first? He put his word in your heart. Right? The goal of Christianity is not to hear a sermon or go through a program. The goal of Christianity is to bring glory to God by looking just like Jesus. And so it takes getting that word into our heart, holding on to it. And what he has promised is, I will always be with you. See, no matter what, he's with me. And he has given me the authority to calm that storm. And it's to the degree that you're aware of his presence that you will rest. That you'll just lay down on the boat and take a nap with him. Because faith rests. To the degree that you're aware of His presence is the degree that you can stand up and speak to that storm of authority that says, be still. But where you're not aware of His presence in your life, it undermines, it undermines everything right there. <clears throat> there is something in the hardest time of our life where God says, I am near to the broken hearted. That I hold your tears in a bottle. There is something about the presence of God that is different. You may not even feel His presence. That's sometimes the hard thing about trials. Literally, God will send you through times where He removes the feeling of His presence. Why? So you will trust His Word and not your feelings. Yeah, I feel love today. And it goes, do you still feel loved? See, when you believe His Word, it produces a harvest of faith where you actually feel loved, even when you don't the weirdest thing no literally I can go through the craziest things and I'm like I don't know what it is I just feel loved that's because I have a harvest of faith from that though because I've gone through the storms and I've stood on his word and I said this I will only say what you say I will only believe your word my feelings I don't know my circumstances not really sure I will only believe what you say I remember I was beginning just very beginning to believe the promises of God for healing barely I was beginning to see an accusation against the enemy in my mind broken. Oh, you're a good God. You only intend goodness for us. You love me. I was beginning to see this. Really breaking off that offense in my life. Really starting to grow. And Michelle got... It was new, early on in our, in, our, uh, in our marriage. Well, really early on. And she got pregnant like a couple months after we were married. And then we went to the doctor. No heartbeat. So we prayed for a week. Went back. No heartbeat. And she went through a horrible time miscarrying. Our first two babies. Twins. And, oh, you feel guilt you feel sadness. Right? You feel, I didn't have enough faith. Not that we should, but those are the accusations. I mean, that's how we feel. But I, have, I had a hard time grieving, really letting it to go to the Lord. I would talk to him about it. And one day I'm in my car, I'm driving. I, I, it was a great opportunity. I was headed to another church to spend some time with the Lord and worship. I was running a little bit late. And literally on my way there, as I'm just preparing my heart to enter into the presence of the Lord and worship, my heart just broke right there in the car, driving up in Pasadena. Boom. Started weeping before the Lord. 
I said, you didn't do this. This wasn't your will. I started weeping. See, you're a good God. You're a good God. It's a messed up world. I said, you're a good God. I will not be offended at you. I came into that church. And I fell on my knees. I'll be offended at you. You were a good God. This is the devil. It's, I don't know why it happened. Give a rip. You are good. The storm. And because I responded differently than I'd ever responded before in my life, God takes what was horrible and he turns it into something good. I gained victory that day. And I could give you story after story. It's not easy. But the life of supernatural power, where God invades what is broken and changes it. It takes the people who will stand on his word and not be swayed by the storms, not be swayed by popular opinion, accusation from the enemy, human tradition, religion, things that other preachers preach that are not from the Word, that steal our faith away. It takes standing on the Word. And even in the midst of the storm where you don't feel Him and you don't know which way's up or which way's down and you don't know how you're going to change or how you're going to grow, it's in that place where you say, but you are with me. It's in that place where you say, but I'm still going to believe you. It's in that place where you say, if nothing ever changes, I still have you. You are my treasure. You are my inheritance. You are my reward. And you resolve in your heart, I will walk by faith and not by sight. You know, the reality is we're all in this place. I'm in this place right now. The Lord's been doing some stuff in me, showing me bigger things, which means, hmm, some greater refinement. And I'm in the place, just like you, saying, I don't see it with my natural eyes, but I believe it. I see it in my spirit. The disciples were in another storm. Oh, it wasn't a storm, sorry. They were in another, they went across the lake another time. I'm going to end with this. And I believe this is for somebody. They're in, they're, in the, they're in the boat. And it says, they forgot bread. Oops. And Jesus said, beware of the, the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the, and Herod, and their life. Oh, it must be because we forgot bread. We must be in trouble. He's rebuking us. Right? We always think that there's something wrong with us. Oh, Jesus must be talking about my lack. I'm nobody. Right? And he goes, what? Are you guys so foolish? Heart of heart? Don't you guys understand? Hello. And he goes, how many loaves of fish did we start with that one time? Five loaves and two fish. And how many basketfuls did we have? Twelve basketfuls. Right? Five pieces of bread. Twelve basketfuls. Hmm. Fed 5,000 people, everyone satisfied, and they had more leftovers than when they began. And how many people, when we fed the 4,000 men, plus women and children, did, did, did we have? Oh, well, we had seven basketfuls left over. Oh, really? Don't you guys get it? That's all he said. Don't you guys understand? What didn't they get? He's in the boat. He's in the boat. It doesn't matter if you don't have any bread. He is the bread of life, right? 
He's in the stinking boat, you know? And, you know, I, I seriously, this is, I'm talking to the Lord about stuff in my life. And I go, God, I feel like I'm just a loaf of bread. That's all I got. I got one bread, one piece of bread here and all these people to feed. Just this bread. And he goes, yeah, I can multiply it. Amen? Say, Dave, haven't you looked at our church in the natural? Come on now. Talk all big talk. That's right. And so did King David before he was king. I'm going to take you out with a stone and cut your head off with your own sword, he said to Goliath. It wasn't the stone that killed Goliath. It was his words. Amen? And here we are in a boat, maybe in a storm, maybe with no bread, no job. And you could look to the government, you could look to Social Security, you could look to the doctor to heal you, and praise God for some of those things. But what happens when all that dries up? What happens if that doesn't work? Is he your healer? See, the storm tests. Do you trust him or do you trust whoever else and whatever else? Do you trust him? Is he enough? Is his presence the provision for every promise? Amen? He's all I need. Let's respond to the Lord. Let's stand up. Let's respond to him. Thank you for being patient because... Just felt like the Lord had some words to give to people today. I feel like that's for you today. There's a specific word that keeps coming up. Three, four different people have heard this from the Lord. Hope. Some of you don't have hope. You don't see the vision that the Lord has for you. The Lord wants to minister to the today. We're going to have prayer teams in the back after we pray right now. If you feel like I don't have even that hope, that I want you to go and get prayer. They're going to pray for you gently and lovingly and they're going to prophesy over you some things from the Lord. If you have no hope, uh, Tom had a, had a scripture for you. For those who have no hope, he says, uh, Hosea 2.15, I will make the uh, valley of Achor a door of hope. I will take where you sinned, you rebelled, or where there's trouble because someone else has sinned against you. And I will make it a door of hope. I will take the past. I will leverage it, says the Lord, and redeem it. And cause that to be the place, the doorway into the future that I have for you. He can take you at that very spot. The very thing the enemy intends for evil. Remember Joseph, right? It was an attack of the enemy. Injustice trying to destroy the call of God on Joseph's life. But what did Joseph say? What you intended for evil, because it was for evil, God intended for good took it and leveraged it. Leveraged the, the, the attack of the enemy. Bam! For good. God will take that brokenness and redeem it. And so where you're at a place where you don't have hope, get prayer. But even right now, I want us just to sing a song to the Lord to seal in our hearts that He's all we want and all we need. Is that what we're doing? I don't know. Whatever you want to do. That He's all we want and all we need and to establish that we believe that you promised your presence and that's enough. Amen? Tell the Lord that. Say, your presence, just say it with me, your presence is all I need. It's more than enough. You are more than enough. You are my healer. You are my Savior. You are my righteousness. You are my victory. You are my provision. You are my purity. You are my intimacy with God. You're all that I need. And tell Him, in the storm, I will trust you. I will hold on 
to your word. Amen. Amen. I want us to just worship the Lord right now.